Ice House. There you are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. I am joined by Max Pick, who's the project coordinator for Trans Equality. Max, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks so much, James. Great to be here. You're the project coordinator of this really new, exciting project. Tell us all about it. Yeah, uh, it is definitely very exciting, um, and I'm very happy to be in this position. So, very uh, grateful to come on the show to talk about it. Um, well, I guess trans equality was uh, it was established about uh, over a year ago now um, with Equality Australia, um, and it was started with it started with consulting quite widely through the communities, uh, and it became very clear that people felt there was a need for an initiative uh, responding to you know the growing anti-trans sentiment um, that would also advocate for for trans rights. So that's really when we decided to create a, a distinct body of work to focus specifically on trans equality. Uh, and so trans equality is really has been designed as an initiative for trans people, by trans people, and importantly also supported by allies. Uh, and it's really an arm of the national group that is Equality Australia, which is working to improve the well-being and the circumstances of LGBTIQ plus people and their families across the nation. So I guess to put it very simply, James, it's that we want trans and gender diverse people to be able to lead their own narratives alongside allies who can also amplify our voices. Yeah, it's so important and so vital that it's trans for trans, if you like, that, you know, the empowerment of the trans community to fight for rights and have them implemented is incredibly important. But so many issues. What's the what's the priority, do you think? Yeah, there are, you're right, there are a lot of issues. And um, since I've come on board, it's very much been about refining our scope. Um, so we're... We're a trans-led movement, as I mentioned, pushing for really legal and social equality. So our our very simple focus, <laughs> um, simple but but complex as well, is that we're building a movement to ensure trans and gender diverse people have the chance for a good life. Um, so that's it's, it's very simple focus, and trans equality specifically does this by combining law and policy reform with specialist training in uh, in campaigning, media, and, and messaging. So we recognise that equality for trans people requires reform across every level of society. We're not just looking at legislative reform with trans equality. Um, it really starts with changing hearts and minds on an individual level, and that's, that's what we wanted to do, you know, to give our community the tools to advocate um, and to, to really collaborate together. Yeah, absolutely. Law reform's just one component of what's needed. Are there any campaigns in the pipeline? Like, uh, what can we expect over the next few months? There are certainly <laughs> certainly camp- uh, campaigns in the pipeline. Um, and I guess to, to frame it all, James, it's, it's where we're looking at three core components of, of what trans equality um, is. Uh, and the three core components are uh, what we've called trans-leading, trans-connecting, and trans-rights. Um, and I will flesh those out. Um, so if we're looking first at trans-leading, um, let's put trans people first here. Uh, this is our, our um, section to really prepare our trans and gender-diverse people for engaging in the public sphere. So it's really targeting 
uh, opportunities for up-and-coming trans leaders uh, to, to come in and engage uh, together. And it's the the first program um, which we've, we've applications are now open for. Uh, that first program will run this November, which is very exciting. Uh, and we're looking to have a group of about 15 participants who will learn or sharpen their skills in campaigning, in public speaking, in media and fundraising. Uh, and it will also set people up with, importantly, with the ongoing benefit of peer-to-peer development and skill sharing. So that's a really exciting part of it as well, is bringing together that group of people and creating those opportunities together for a new cohort of people. And I, I really want to encourage anyone who's, who's interested to check out the website. Uh, it's just transequality.org.au uh, and sign up or send me questions if you have any. Um, and the, the second component of the work that I mentioned earlier, so trans-connecting. So this is, really, this is really our space for allies. And it's, it's acknowledging that we really cannot do this work without our allies. They're so important. Um, so we've, we've looked at ways to support them, uh, whether they come on board as individuals or in an organisational capacity, and really to just get connected and equipped to amplify trans voices, um, so amplifying the work we're doing through things like trans leading, as well as the broader community of trans voices that, that are out there. Uh, And Trans Connecting really plugs our allies into that suite of resources uh, that that we'll be providing, such as language guides, uh, messaging frameworks, and importantly, to engage in those moments for political action and to activate those networks. Um, Because we know our allies will play a vital role in achieving trans equality and ensuring our our rights really to thrive and and to ensure that those laws can can progress to protect us all equally. Um, so for those already on board, and we've had some some fantastic responses over the since Tuesday when we launched. Um, thank you, thank you for joining us. Um, I've heard so many from so many wonderful allies, um, and we yeah we really can't do it without you. So um, and for anyone else, please you're very welcome to come on board. We'd love to have you. Um, and the the last the last part of the the work um, here, James, is is trans rights, and that's really uh, that's really the work that Equality Australia has been involved in for for the last five years, and it's picking that up uh, in terms of working at the state and the national level for for better and fairer laws. You know, but importantly, it's you know still today we have trans and gender diverse people in New South Wales, specifically in Western Australia, who, who do still face, you know, cruel and unnecessary barriers to be able to update their birth certificates. Um, and we know that having ID that matches our identity is so vital for, you know, for the health and well-being of trans and gender diverse people. It's, it's such a basic need. You know, we, we truly believe that everyone deserves to be recognised for who they are. Um, and it's it's really quite a simple ask um, that most people take for granted. Um, and you know, we saw earlier in Queensland this year that um, there was that was the last the last state who um, allowed trans and gender diverse people to update the gender on their birth certificate without the need for surgery or any additional barriers in place there to so to really self identify. Uh, and we're really wanting the rest of Australia to follow suit and allow for those fairer laws to access 
identity documentation. So those are the, the kind of the core um, campaign areas uh, in the in the structure of trans equality. It sounds incredibly well thought out and planned and has really done the research about, you know, how queer activism has operated and succeeded for decades. It sounds like you've got a great grounding. Mm, yes. Um, we, we, we have, you know, we've done some extensive consultation with trans leaders and organisations and you know, Equality Australia's national supporter base uh, as well, of course. So, you know, Equality Australia has has really talked with hundreds of people and organisations since trans equality was first floated, and that was over well over a year ago now. Uh, and it's really since for, for me since coming on board, I've only been in this role for two months. Um, so, so you know, a lot of this work predates me, and it, it lies with my team um, as well. So, the, um, the the I guess the big focus of my work over the last two months, which of course is ongoing, is you know the amount of people I've spoken to. Um, both through my own my own network as a as a trans non-binary person, as well as you know leveraging the networks of Equality Australia. Um, and you know I think the the feedback James has also been really positive. Um, you know people are really welcoming the initiative um, and sort of recognising it as a, a a needed piece in the puzzle. Um, but you know that's that's also not to say that there hasn't been incredible work done in this space over the last few decades. You know. Um, mostly by volunteers and people who who are really don't have many resources, and they truly do deserve you know all of our gratitude, all of my gratitude to be you know where I am today to be able to pick up this work with where I am, and you know we just wouldn't be where we are without them. You know I'm thinking about national national groups like Transcend um, and state based organisations who who really have been doing the groundwork to allow you know allow us to to pick up and and step up now to to lend a hand and, you know, and the expertise that we have in-house and we hope to really grow our movement into a united national front. Um, so I guess to, to help us achieve this quite, quite, you know, it is quite a goal, of course, um, but trans equality will be advised. Um, and I guess the ongoing work is that it will be advised by a trans council uh, and informed by a broader trans network um, and we're, we're looking to also just to mention um, for anyone listening in we are currently recruiting for, for our trans council uh, and it's yeah just a shout out if you're if you're keen just let us know again just pop to the website um, I'm really looking forward to meeting you know continuing meeting so many amazing people um, who would love to be involved in the work whether that's in the closer capacity on the trans council um, or, or more broadly through our trans network. Um, we really want to continue that collaboration um, as, as we go and continue to build it. It sounds like trans equality is really taking off. You've been around for a year, but you've kind of, you know, been on the on the launching pattern now. You've you're really taking off, and what an exciting time, and what a the right time as well for this organisation to really consolidate. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the and the pathway you've been on to get to this position. Yeah, sure. Thanks, James. I've been involved in, in this particular role with Equality Australia for the past two months. Um, but I started I started with Equality Australia in October last year uh, and have been doing a, been here in the capacity of a community and fundraising coordinator, um, which has been fantastic. Um, getting and it's been a really nice grounding to sort of getting to know the, the community and you know our our 
supporter base, um, which just send us so much love, and it's it's been such a nice nice way to enter in, into Equality Australia. Um, and I guess the my my background and probably what what got me in into this uh, this work that I love is uh, really off the back of uh, you know my my own fundraising and my own community work, and that was that was started from my own need uh, to actually have top surgery. Um, I'm trans and non-binary myself, um, and I I was in a position where I needed to raise ten thousand ten thousand dollars, you know, that being the a smaller end of money that trans people need to, need to dig up um, for gender affirming care. Um, so I I decided to launch a brand, um, you know, and when I say launch a brand, I really it was pretty low. <laughs> it was, pretty B grade. <laughs> um, but I started a t-shirt brand called No Milk in My Tea. And, um, and it really, it, it kind of took off in my local community. Uh, and it got to the stage where I, I raised, uh, I raised the amount in total through the sale of these t-shirts, um, to be able to fund my own top surgery, uh, which, you know, it was, it was just such a, such a dream. And it, it really, allowed me to um, consider something that I hadn't, which was, you know, continuing the work in this space and um, really using the connections that I had built for, you know, for, for a need that I personally had to then go on and, and help other people, you know, have that same kind of social and financial need met. And it, what I was able to do was, was you know, use that brand uh, and launch another T-shirt design to represent, you know, to date, another two people, and we've raised almost fifty thousand dollars through just through the sale of t-shirts. Which who would have thought? You know, it's <laughs> something. So it's just been such such a fun ride, and it's really I'm I'm really excited to be uh, to be at this point now to you know using those those networks that that I've created. Um, yeah, just through through my own need as as a trans person who wanted surgery. You know, um, to have those networks that I have across Australia, and then you know. Amplify them and, and jump onto you know the the all of the networks that Equality Australia has um, and it's just been a lovely kind of melting pot and from to where I am today and obviously being in the position I am with trans you know with a trans equality project it's it's just such a dream um, to to be in this position um, and to be able to be a part of something that's that's so much bigger than I you know that I anticipated. <laughs> Will you be reaching out to any politicians to meet with your organisation? And if so, who? Yeah, so Equality Australia regularly meets with MPs from across the political spectrum. Um, so we're, we're talking to both major political parties, the minor parties and independents. And it, that, that happens at a state, a territory and a federal level. Um, and we... We work hard to let parliamentarians know really what what our community wants and what we expect, and importantly where the loopholes are. Um, and that's that's a lot of the work that Equality Australia does. You know um, where those loopholes are in the law that allow for discrimination against LGBTIQ plus people uh, and their families. So we we work with the people we need to to see those laws change. Max Pick, uh, congratulations on your role at Trans Equality. What a dynamic grassroots organisation, so needed, so vital, and uh, I love your three-pronged approach. Thank you so much for joining us today on 3CR. Thank you so much, James. It's been a pleasure. 
Max Pick there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR, and here's Alison Goldfrapp.
Alison Goldfrapp there. Gatto Gelato up real soon. Simon Ruth from Thorn Harbour Health to talk about MPOX here in Melbourne. But in the meantime, here's Mark Ronson with Robbie Williams.
Robbie Williams and Mark Ronson there. I am delighted to have Simon Ruth from Thorn Harbour Health in the studio. Welcome to the show. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. MPOX, what's happening here in Melbourne? MPOX, yes, the gift that keeps on giving. Um, so you might remember 12 months ago we had uh, when the first outbreak occurred, it was in North America and Europe mainly. It was centred around Pride events, uh, and a lot of our advice back then was to travellers and, and people heading over to those Pride events and coming home. And a lot of the cases we saw were people who'd been specifically to international Pride events. This year, the epidemic's a bit different, and it's hitting Asia. And so it's in China. Um, it's unclear whereabouts in China it is. Uh, the Chinese government don't give out a lot of information, um, but we definitely know it's in Taiwan as well. It's in Thailand. It's in Korea, Japan. Also, Portugal, Brazil, a couple of other countries, interesting two Portuguese-speaking countries, but um, are seeing a bit of an outbreak. And, and if you go back about six weeks, Chicago and London had small outbreaks. But the ones that we're worried about right now are, are those ones much closer to us in the region. Um, in Australia, we've probably seen half a dozen cases in the last month, but in pretty much every case, it could be directly linked to someone who travelled home um, and then had returned to Australia briefly after a visit home to, to some part of Asia, uh, mainly Thailand and the Chinese diaspora, Hong Kong, Beijing, Shanghai, you know, that area in Taiwan. Locally acquired cases, what's happened there? I understand there's been several. Uh, well, yes, yes and no. Uh, a couple of locally acquired cases, but immediately linked back to travel. Um, so, so the the search, the contact tracing has been quite good and they've, they've been able to link it back. Um, there, There is a case in Sydney, I think a recent one, but there doesn't appear to be any outbreak there either. Um, and again, it was another person who was identifying that they'd had sex with somebody who'd recently been back to Thailand. Um, so, so it's really now about travel to those locations that we want to raise awareness of that. In fact, travel anywhere. If, if, you, if you're planning on having sex overseas, you need to be thinking about getting uh, your vaccinations. We're still doing vaccinations. All the, uh, the larger queer clinics, so Brand Market, Northside, Melbourne Sexual Health, are all doing vaccinations as well. And if you don't know where else to go, um, and a lot of the um, international student uh, clinics and all the university clinics are also doing vaccinations right now. Um, but if you don't know where, anywhere else to go, call us up at the Centre Clinic and we will organise to get you in and get you vaccinated. Last time we spoke in early July, you said about 5,000 people of the 15,000 that had been vaccinated in, in Victoria hadn't had their second dose. Uh, what's the uptake like recently? It's it's not much better. <laughs> you know, the, the interest the last few weeks, we are seeing people coming back, but we still have a huge number of people, not only in Melbourne, but also in Sydney, pretty much in every city where we have vaccinations last year. It's about a third of people still need to come back in and get their, their second vaccination. We're no longer doing the subdermal, so the skin popping that we were doing last year, it's now, which left marks on some people, so some people had scarring from that. It's now a normal injection in the back of the arm, um, like, like other vaccinations. So so, so we're doing it in a different way now. Um, you get you get more of the vaccine into your system, but it's it's also much less likely to scar and, and to have reactions. And that, I guess, too, is because there's so many doses here in Australia, so it doesn't need to be rationed. Yeah, yeah. When we first started, we, we didn't have a lot of the vaccine. We had a lot of people who wanted the vaccine, so we were looking at other ways to make the vaccine go further. And we now have a lot of vaccine, um, and, and we're trying to get people to come back in either, either for both shots or for their second shot. Um, if, they, if they've had that break. And, and it's still important to get the second shot, even though it might be a, a, an extended period of time since your first shot. 
What do we know about immunity? I mean, those people who only had one dose, say, 12 months ago, would their immunity have waned? Like, what's, what, what do we know? We, we don't know a lot. Um, you know, it, there's still the, it's, it's new and emerging. There's, there's not a lot of evidence around it. We do know that some of the recent cases had had both vaccines. Um, so it looks like it doesn't give you full immu- immunity. It's a bit like the COVID vaccines. It will lessen the degree and the severity. Um, of the illness. Uh, and we're also still got um, symptoms that don't look like typical monkeypox. So if you have any sores anywhere on your genitals, um, come, come in and pl- please go and see uh, a sexual health clinician. Uh, and when they're checking for syphilis and other things that also have sores and herpes, they'll also be checking for monkeypox at the same time. And there's been a couple of recent cases where the doctors were sure it was syphilis and it turned out to be monkeypox. And they were saying within a day or two, it did look like monkeypox, but when they first saw it, it didn't look like monkeypox. So, so it's important to come in and get any of those sorts of things checked. Is that a change from 12 months ago when the last outbreak happened? Like, are we seeing this, are we seeing this virus you know, evolve, if you like, for want of a better word? Uh, it's 12 months, we, we've got traditional mpox, which we, we'd seen in Africa, um, it was rarely on genitals, or, or that wasn't the normal appearance. Um, it was being spread through touch. It now looks like it is being spread through sex, um, but it was. There were lots of unusual cases twelve months ago as well. So it was a it was a case of trying to learn what it looks like. There's some discussion that, uh, particularly if you're the receptive partner in anal sex, that you may get internal lesions as well. Um, so they might not be immediately visible. You might just feel some pain from them. So again, it's important to come in. Um, for those sorts of things. But is the monkeypox looking different, say, than what it looked 12 months ago? It sounds like it might be if people are thinking it's syphilis at yeah, first. Yeah, it, it, was, it was unusual the whole time. So, so it was even 12 months ago, there were things that they were saying didn't look like monkeypox, but when they were testing it, it was turning out to be monkeypox. So you're saying that some people are getting it even though they had their two doses, presumably possibly, say, 12 months ago, hypothetically speaking. Does that suggest then that people really need a booster every year? Uh, maybe. Um, we're, we're waiting for the scientists to, to tell us that. Um, I, I know that um, chief health officers in both main states, Victoria and New South Wales, are considering that. Um, but at the moment, they're, they're not suggesting that a third dose would, would be beneficial. Uh, but but we, we may see that in the next few months, particularly if there's another outbreak in the Northern Hemisphere. How worried are you about it getting out of control here in Melbourne? Because it wouldn't take much, would it? It, it wouldn't take much, but at the moment, um, we're, we're ready to go. If we need to ramp up vaccination um, to the same extent that we had it last year, we're, we're prepared for that. Uh, it is very disruptive to, to all the major clinics to do that, and it does have an impact on our ability to look at other things like Shigella and syphilis and HIV and, and the normal work we do. Um, at the moment, it is quite contained, and with travellers being aware that they, they need to you know, keep an eye on what's going on when they get back, we're sort of getting on, to, on top of it early. Um, so right now, I'd say we're probably not looking at you know, a huge outbreak of the sky falling in, but if it does occur, um, we're, we're ready to move on that. I mean, the community reacted so well a year ago, and so many people got their vaccinations. Are people a bit kind of, you know, lackadaisical at the moment, do you think? Like, do you think, considering we've had a few cases here again in Melbourne, do you think the the race to get vaccinated hasn't been as good as you'd expected? Um, it's sort of, it, it's it's hitting different people this time. Um, you know, last time it was, it, it was people who had the means to travel, 
uh, to, to go to pride events to in expensive countries and go to expensive parties this year it, it's more hitting people who are traveling home for holidays and 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 you know going to to different sorts of things um, so far quite a few of the cases have um, you know have been non-english speaking um, so the health promotion that we're doing we're having to deliver things last time it was pretty much all in english everything we delivered this time if you follow our messaging you'll you'll be getting messaging in asian languages and in spanish and portuguese as well um, emanate the national project that we run with acons looking at spanish and, and chinese particularly targeting so so it's it, it's a different community this time slightly it's still many have sex with men but it's probably less community connected men this time around um, so so it's important for us to move quickly get the education out there as long as people know what to look for we we won't have any major outbreaks and we'll get on top of it quickly we've just got to make sure everybody's educated to know what to look for but those challenges make it harder to kind of you know get that message out there and to kind of you know organize a response if indeed there is another outbreak that sounds like a challenge you weren't expecting it's it's a, it's a challenge and it's a, it's a challenge we have for HIV as well I mean, I mean as we do better uh, managing HIV and you would have seen the recent you know discussion about Sydney's solved HIV um, they've solved HIV if you live in Darlinghurst but if you live in Parramatta they haven't solved HIV we're having to get much better now at talking to the communities that we didn't traditionally do a lot of our messaging to to to, to the men living in the suburbs possibly married men um, you know who aren't community connected who aren't listening to this show or listening to Joy FM and you know so we've got to get our messaging out better and, and be much more targeted in who we're speaking to. So it really sounds like MPOX has the potential to kind of be very much an, an illness, a disease of inequality. Yes, um, and it's also, it's one now that's probably just going to keep popping up occasionally. Um, America and Europe didn't get on top of it the way we did. We pretty much quashed it in this country. Uh, we stopped the cases um, in, in those major cities elsewhere in the Northern Hemisphere. They haven't managed to do that. It bubbles away and they get little outbreaks. Um, there, there is some modelling coming out of the CDC in the US saying that there will be another major outbreak at some point in North America. Um, so it, it may be here to stay. Hopefully it's not. Um, it, it is pretty horrendous for a, a small group of people who get it and they, they experience extreme pain and and we did see some deaths last year, not a big number of deaths, but a small number of deaths associated with it. Um, so hopefully we get on top of that. Um, at the same time, you know, we're, we're getting some resistant shigella. There's still issues with gonorrhea and syphilis um, locally, and, and they're things that we need to be talking about as well. Yeah, absolutely. And let's do that because there has been a shigella outbreak, hasn't there? Yeah, there's constant, there's always little bits of shigella going around, but more recently we've started to see some antibiotic resistant shigella, so it's it's not responding as quickly or as well, and, and some people are having to end up being hospitalised um, related to shigella and, and be, being put on much stronger antibiotics to deal with it. You mentioned gonorrhea. What's happening with gonorrhea? Gonorrhea, gonorrhea, chlamydia and syphilis are always around, all three of them. Um, they affect different parts of the community differently. Um, gonorrhea is one that does impact on LGBTI people and particularly men who have sex with men and parts of the trans community. Um, and again, it's just something that we need, we need to be aware of. The symptoms with gonorrhea are usually quite dramatic early on. Um, and you will know that you've got it, and, and so try and get onto that quickly and, and get in and get treated, and, and keep up your three-monthly or your six-monthly um, sexual health screens. Um, some people will be asymptomatic, and, and they may not experience bad symptoms themselves, but they will be passing it on 
to other people. So we, we always encourage regular sexual health screens. And then other diseases like syphilis where the symptoms go away, but you still have the disease until it's treated. So it's important um, when you see symptoms that you get on top of it quickly. So really all of those things considered, you know, syphilis, gonorrhea and shigella are much more of a concern than mpox. Yes, Yes, they, they are for us, you know, they affect much larger numbers of people in the community. Um, the, the, they have outbreaks into the general community as well, and they're things that we're constantly dealing with. Chlamydia is another one. Um, it may not cause a lot of issues for men who have sex with men, but if women get chlamydia, it can affect their ability to have children and, and birthing issues down the track. Um, Monkeypox, we... we we, we have an opportunity to contain it and stop it, um, and, so, and so that's why we're hitting it very hard. Um, and the symptoms can be very, very bad with monkeypox to the point where people are being hospitalised, which you wouldn't normally get with some of the other conditions. You had a very successful 40th birthday month at Thorn Harbour, and it truly was a great kind of you know social media campaign. There were so many great events. Uh, yeah, we had, we had some fantastic events. We had our Ruby Red Ball. Um, where we had about 500 people at the Melbourne Town Hall, um, had a great night there, and everyone was in red. It was it was quite spectacular. I don't know that we'll be doing that soon. Again, it was a lot of work to put on. Um, we had three exhibitions: one at the Laird, um, one here in Collingwood, uh, and one over at the Pride Centre. That's actually still on. If you go to the Pride Centre, I think for another week and a half, there, there's an exhibition on there, and a number of public forums. And then, well, 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 one our radio program did a lot of history talks as well. Um, we, we got a lot of the original board out. Uh, Phil Cars will be brought down to Melbourne for the events and he was speaking a lot. Alison Thorne was speaking, Adam Carr, um, David Bradford. Um, you know, it, it, uh, We had an event in Bendigo as well for the local community up there. Um, so it was, it was fantastic and, and it was really, I love the history of the organisation. I, I find the stories of the people who were involved back in the 80s and 90s very inspiring uh, and I got to hear stories I'd never heard before. Um, you know, there, there was some, there was some great Ian Goller. I, I, I knew of Ian Goller. He's, I've seen his photo many times, but I didn't know the role he played in the early epidemic. He was a young doctor who went to San Francisco, pre-social media, pre-the internet, and he was sending home parcels of information um, with everything he could learn on HIV and AIDS, and so that people here were informed. and And some of the speakers were saying, if it wasn't for Ian, we probably would have been a year behind where we were. Um, so just hearing those sorts of stories was really amazing. And so many lives saved by, you know, not wasting that year or not being behind on that year. Yeah. What were some of the other stories that, that, that you know, really moved you? Um, you know, Ian's was one I hadn't heard and I heard it from a couple of different people. Um, Les Butler was another. We, we have a photographic exhibition called The Legends where it's people who died of AIDS early in the epidemic who set up all of our organisations. Um, and for us, uh, some of our early board members, Chris Carter's on it. Um, Keith Harbour, of course, who we've named ourselves after as part of that. Um, people were talking about Les Butler, who was an early... He, he was deeply involved in, in the early parts of our organisation and the movement, and he was a union activist. He was part of the ANF, um, and he was very active in the closure of Prince Henry's and, and a lot of that work. Um, and we met Peter Laderman. So in 2015, we awarded all of our original board life membership. Some of them had it already, but we brought them together as a group, um, 
Three of them have passed on. Um, two of them had passed from AIDS early on in the epidemic, but um, we got six of them together and there were three of the original board who we'd never managed to get hold of. Um, but we tracked down Peter Laderman. Uh, he now lives in Bendigo and we he, he's quite old now and frail. He's well into his 80s, but we got him to our event in Bendigo and managed to give him his life membership. And it was wonderful having a chat with him and learning his history and um, you know how he was involved in the organisation in the early days and what it all meant. Um, and he talked about having HIV for 40 years and you know what, what it meant to, to live with that and, and, and then to move to rural Victoria as well and where you have to find a GP that you trust and then also educate the GP about you know what your healthcare is going to mean. Um, so that, that was quite wonderful finally getting to meet Peter. And so many people you know did die, have have died. It must have been pretty emotional putting together all of those kind of, you know, stories and, and, and you know, putting their photos up and um, it must have been it must have been incredibly emotional for so many people connected to them and just that flood of memories. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, if you look at Thorn Harbour Health now, you see a lot about LGBT health. Um, but at our heart, we were a HIV organisation. We, we came out of the gay and lesbian rights movement back in the 80s um, and it was very much, uh, you know... A, about what was then, you know, before the days of what we call the trans community and the bisexual community, it was the gay and lesbian community and and the homosexual conferences and whatnot. Um, It it was quite incredible just seeing some of the old when, you know, our board elections, we still have contested elections. We're one of a few queer organisations nationally that do. Um, But back in those days, people ran tickets. And, you know, it was like union elections and local council elections where, you know, there'd be the positive person's ticket running against the negative gay men's ticket running against another ticket and and, and trying to, you know, take control of the board. And, and, and it was a period when lots of people, were, lots of our staff were dying, our volunteers were dying. Um, so there was a lot of emotion and a lot of turmoil in those first 10 years of the organisation particularly and, and getting to hear those stories and, and, you know, the people who came and volunteered, and, you know, and were dead a week later, but they, they were putting back into the organisation constantly. And just it's, that passion, I mean, you know, going down that memory lane and, you know, reliving all of that, 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 that fight for the struggle. Yeah, yeah. Amazing stuff. Mm. Um, so you still have tickets running? You still have tickets running for your elections. They're still contested. Uh, no, we, a- don't, we don't have tickets anymore, or at least I don't think we have tickets anymore. We <laughs> may have, there may be, um, but we still have contested elections. So every year when we have two or three positions up for the board, there's usually seven or eight people running for that. I know Mardi Gras still has elections, Joy FM still has elections, but most queer organisations no longer have elections. I think we're the only AIDS council in the country that still has elections every year. Um, which is wonderful. It's great that people are that interested in the organisation that they want to participate. What's happening on the campaigns front? Uh, campaigns front right now, I think we've got Drama Down Under um, up in Melbourne. Uh, we've got the Women's Conference coming up. Uh, so you'll be seeing us talking a lot more about women's health over the next two months um, and, and trying to get funders interested in that, which is a, a perennial struggle for us. Um, They're not interested in women's health. We, we have a women's health strategy that we launched. We, we've never really managed to get any funders. We've, we've had some small grants. We've, we've got a small grant, drug and alcohol grant, that's looking at women's drinking. We had a small grant from Vic Health. Um, but again, you know, we've been campaigning on getting money for, for lesbian and bisexual and queer women's health now for probably eight years. And people nod and they smile at you and they agree with everything you say and then they don't follow through with any money. Um, one of the previous health minister, Jill Hennessy, asked one of her bureaucrats to figure out what the government put into lesbian health and they couldn't find any funding that they put into lesbian health. So they tend to... Funding in our area, it t- tends to be either through HIV, so 
people talk about all the money into gay men's health. It's it's actually HIV money. And if HIV went away, that money would go away. And in trans health, it's about access to medical care. Um, and unfortunately, there's no identifiable condition for, for lesbian and bisexual and queer women where we can attach ourselves to that. Um, so they tend to just say, well, we put money into women's health and you talk to them and they should be doing a better job. Um, so we, we struggle to, to get that focus on women's health. And yet the statistics show those health inequalities among queer women. That's outrageous. Queer, that... queer women have a whole range of health conditions that are much more exacerbated by being a queer woman. And governments um, won't fund it. Uh, and they're, they're not interested in it. They say, well, we do fund that elsewhere. You should go and talk to them and get them interested in doing more for your community. So we do little bits. We, we do cervical screening campaigns, we do breast screening campaigns, we do some drug and alcohol and mental health stuff, uh, but it's, it's a real struggle to get funders interested in, in women. I'm just, I'm just gobsmacked by that, that, you know, in 2023, lesbian health is basically just, you know, invisible. Yeah. Yeah, which is why we started the, the Women's Health Conference. Um, uh, the original plan was let's see if we can get 20 women in a room to talk about health, and now we get four to 500 women who come along and, and present. There's a whole range of amazing work happening across the country, but it's often very small projects put together with very little bits of money um, and, and through very passionate women who are keen to work on, for and on behalf of their community. Um, but, but, you know, there, there is no major funding um, stream tar targeting queer women's health at all. And what will the theme be of this year's conference? I, I don't know that we have a theme. It's actually at the Abbotsford Convent this year, which is, which is sort of, you know, when you know the history of that place, um, it's interesting to go back and reclaim that because it's a, it's a place where a lot of young women um, you have very traumatic experiences. It so was a, we'll a working factory for, for single women who had babies, wasn't it? It was a, a place of terrible abuse. Yeah, for, for women who got pregnant out of wedlock and, and women who were seen to, you know, be under undesirable or having sex before marriage and whatnot they're often sent there and basically put into slave labor and 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 the catholic church used them as cheap labor to under undercut um you know other providers of, of those sorts of services so we'll, we'll be down there we'll be reclaiming that space um you know we'll be trying to get uh, trades hall will be coming and talking about that and about the fact that a lot of these young women were exploited and there were probably a lot of young queer women particularly and same-sex attracted women who were sent there because they just didn't conform to what was expected of them in society or the criminalization of our community and throwing you know throwing religion in as well it's a pretty toxic mix isn't it uh yep R religion is yep it's something we talk about a lot um, you know, it's, it's an area that, you know, people continue to, to throw stones at us. So, Simon Ruth, uh, the CEO of Thorn Harbour Health. It's always a joy to see you here at 3CR. Thanks for popping in. Thanks for having me, Joe.
time and we'll catch you next week on in your face in your face would like to thank thorn harbor health for their sponsorship of this program thorn harbor health envisions a healthy future for our gender sex and sexuality diverse communities a future without hiv and a future where all people live with dignity and respect to find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.